We hope you enjoy this message recorded at Equippers Church in Eden. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com. Thank you, worship team. We appreciate the worship team here. Wonderful. Not just, you know, good worshipers make good worship leaders. And uh, we appreciate the, the, both the excellence musically, but really the spirit they carry. It's beautiful. It's an honor to be with you guys and uh, excited for what God's doing in Equippers uh, movement and in your beautiful city. And so grateful that Pastor took, a, took me uh, to lunch today, Pastor Will and Desiree, to a place by the ocean. When you live by the desert, the ocean's special, so you appreciate, you drink in the, uh, the water, so we had a wonderful time. Now, I'm going to be sharing something. My title tonight is, My Future's Looking Great, and uh, I need you to adopt my title as your title. So turn to your neighbor and tell him, hey man, my future's looking great, just tell him that. was sitting uh, on my couch, I guess it would have been about 25 plus years ago, when my second son, Timothy, who's a professional musician, he, uh, he was three years old. We were watching, you know, some sporting event on the couch on a Saturday afternoon, and a commercial came on, and the commercial, it's say for a tech school called DeVry, and the student looks up at the end of the commercial, and to the camera and says, my future's looking great. And so I, you know, I, I've, I've, wasn't even paying attention to the commercial. When my son hopped across the couch to me, grabbed my face and said, daddy, my future's looking great. And I'm not, you know, that was, uh, gosh, that'd be 28 years ago now. And I'll never forget the moment because something inside of me leaped for joy when my son said his future is looking great. And I know that God's, our loving God's heart leaps with joy for us when we look at him and say, I know my future's looking great. I know the future you've given me. We're going to be talking about that tonight. And uh, before I do, let me share something funny. I can't remember if I've told you this joke already. If I have, act like you haven't heard it. But a young businessman wanted to buy his parents a very special 35th wedding anniversary gift. He was at the mall and he was really hoping for something unique and dynamic. And he stumbled into the pet store and there he found a rare South American parrot. And the parrot could speak 150 words in English. And it cost thousands of dollars. He said, that's it. That's what I'll send my parents. So he had it crated and specially sent all the way across the country to his parents. And he hadn't heard anything for a few days. Finally, he called his mom and dad and he said hey I just was checking to see if you got the gift that I sent you and the father said we, we sure did son and it was delicious he said delicious you ate that parrot dad that parrot could speak 150 words in English there was a long pause and finally the father said back well he should have said something <laughs> turn your neighbor and say he should have said something okay I'm going to reference a story in the Bible and then we'll kind of feed off of it into a few other 
cool places in the Bible. And it's a story when David was on the verge of entering into his fulfilled destiny, the promise of God for his life. He'd been waiting for this for 13 years. He went through an unusually intense season just before the releasing of his prophetic calling, his destiny. I tell my church this sentence, that discouragement is often the greatest when breakthrough is the closest. And that, they, that there's, there's sometimes a prophecy and negative events that foretell of positive things coming, the enemy trying to shake you loose from a place of faith and trust in God just before something good's happened. But here's what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 30. It happened one day that David and his men came to Ziklag, a town they lived in, waiting for the kingdom to come. On the third day, the Amalekites had invaded from the south and attacked and burned Ziklag with fire. They had taken captive the women and children there from a small to great. They didn't kill anyone, but they carried them away and went away. So the towns attacked, and I think in life, just as an older person, I can tell you this, that probably two of the most impacting things that can cause the greatest discouragement are when your family's having trouble or your finances are having trouble. And when you're having family trouble and financing trouble at the same time, it's a perfect storm. It's a lot of pressure. And so David loses his family. His men lose their family. They lose their wealth, their accumulated wealth. They lost everything. Their village burned. And there was a natural reaction. Verse 3 says, David and his men sat down and wept. And they wept. Why? Because, um, verse 4, excuse me, until they had no more power to weep. So they emptied out their tear ducts. They cried. Now these were the baddest baddest in a good sense. They were the most skilled and courageous warriors on the planet. And yet when their hearts were pierced by the sudden adversity in their families and in their finance, they, just, they, just, they weren't expecting it. And so they just let loose a torrent of, of grief and loss. And there's nothing, you know, I, I, I'm, I have a doctorate in psychology. There's nothing wrong with grief. Grief is, is a normal reaction to loss. The only problem with grief is if you let it stay too long. Any emotion that's negative that you give a permanency to causes havoc in your body, your mind, your future. And so never grant the temporary permission to be permanent. The Bible says in Psalm 30, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So you have to participate in the eviction of grief and sorrow, disappointment and pain from your life or else it'll just stay there forever. It'll make a homestead in your heart and turn you into someone you never thought you'd wanted to be. And so they're all crying and, and they're all upset and rightfully so. There's nothing unspiritual about being emotional, about having emotion. And the Bible says, be angry, but don't sin. The feeling of anger is not a sin until you act on it, until you engage it, until you let it have a permanency in your heart. David's two wives, so that we would know that David had the same experience. This is a truism for leaders. Leaders go through what everyone else goes through. David's wives were kidnapped too. Verse 6 says, David was greatly distressed. Okay, so he's feeling the pressure not just of his own family loss, but of the men's around him, of their now mistrust. He was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of the people was grieved every man for his son and daughters. So these men had followed David, some of them for a decade, 
In fact, the Bible calls them in the next book in 2 Samuel, mighty men of valor, and some of their individual achievements are listed. They're, they're incredible. But they were so brokenhearted that they, they projected their pain onto David. So he became the focus of their wrath, their rage, their grief, their discouragement. And they blamed him and they wanted to kill him after willing, the day before, willing to die for him. And David felt the, the tremendous weight, the tremendous pain of losing the trust of the people he was leading. So he's discouraged more than anybody. So in this story, everyone's discouraged. These 600 men probably. David's, everyone's discouraged, but there's one guy more discouraged. And that's David because of the duality of what he had experienced. The loss, the same financial loss, the same family loss, but now the loss of the, the trust and the, the loyalty of his friends, his warriors. And so the last line of this verse, though, gives us the difference between those guys and David because, for example, in grief, the, 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 you know, most grief cycles fa follow a pattern. There's a there's a there's a there's actually an emotional cycle that we can go through and uh, part of it is anger and uh, feeling angry is not a sin it's just a problem if you let it stay too long so the Bible says this but David strengthened himself and the Lord is God King James says David encouraged himself and the Lord is God so David did a couple of things he took accountability for his own emotions See, the, the problem with being a victim is you never get better. As long as you have an excuse for being angry, being bitter, being unforgiving, being whatever discouraged, as long as you're blaming someone else, you can't get better. So David said to God, God, here's my emotions. I accept accountability. Help me fix them. David did something about his life and is a portrait to us. And, and, and so it's, it's so essential because the, de the devil will try to knock you out of your destiny by discouraging you because discouraged people stop dreaming. Daddy, my future's looking great. Well, discouraged people don't feel that way. So, so when hope leaves, discouragement calms, depression calms. And so David now is, he's doing, he's, he's advancing the normal. He's not, he says, I, I don't have six years to get better. I don't got six months to get better. David said I'm going to get better in six hours. He walked over there in the wilderness, got out of his heart, worshiped God, began to recite scriptures he knew by memory, began to pray. He did whatever it took to get better. And the Bible says he encouraged himself back to wholeness. He got, he got on the even plane again. And, and it's so important because God has so many wonderful things for your life, but when we're discouraged, we miss what God's trying to tell us about our future. Discouraged people don't think positive thoughts about the future. Uh, but, but the Bible says this in, in uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 18. I know the thoughts that I think toward you. God's speaking in the first voice. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So God's thinking about your future. God's thinking good thoughts about your future. And whenever you're in line with Him, aligned with Him, and in sync with God, then you're going to have those same kinds of hopeful, godly thoughts about your future. So David does something about his situation and then consequently he, he, he steps into the next role and he's, he prayed to God. 
David said to the priest, bring the ephod here. And they brought the ephod, the, the way that they talked to God. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord said, pursue, you shall overtake them, and without fail, recover all. So, so here's the point. So you know your heart is healthy when it starts to dream again. So when you can receive signals, so because discouraged people don't think about getting their life back, getting, getting their whatever, their family, their finance, their future, their destiny, they, they stay locked into the prison of hopelessness, the prison of grief, the prison of whatever kind of pain they've been through. But, but David did something. He got healthy enough to hear from God. He got healthy enough to be able to hear God's voice about his future. And, and so I just wanted to talk about this thing called hope, this, this glorious biblical truth called hope because hope is a, um, in the Bible, hope is an expectation, a joyous expectation. In the New Testament is the word elpis, and it means to joyously anticipate something in the future. It means to have joy and expectation that something good's coming into your life. As a famous evangelist, I was able to spend uh, um, time with him toward the end of his life a few times. His name is Oral Roberts in America. And he would close his TV show years and years ago, and he would say, something good's going to happen to you. And just planting those seeds across people that maybe weren't expecting something good. I just want to encourage you, something good's going to happen to you. Your God is good, and he has good intentions for you. He has good plans for you. He's prepared a good future. He cares about you. He loves you. He's on your side. And so, so David heard from God, and God said, you can have everything back. Go, go get your stuff back, son. Go take, take back what the devil's stolen from you. Go get your family back. Come on. We can't live our whole life thinking our families can't change. God can so give us hope that we start praying for the freedom, deliverance, salvation of our family. We can't live our whole life thinking that we can never recover a business or a ministry or a property or some kind of financial instrument. And this is an important thing because when people go through losses, it can so disheveled them, it can so demoralize them that they just cut off, that a part of them just dies. They, they just stop dreaming. But God made your heart to be a dream factory. And, and, and God, God, by the power of it, the Holy Spirit touching the human imagination, God creates things, the earth. And, and so when your heart's, when your dream machine's not working, that, that God can't give you the kind of future he's envisioned for you because your machine's clogged up or gears are locked or it's not working like God made it to be. And God wants you to dream. God wants you to wake up excited about your day, excited about your future, excited about this year. You could... You know, in, in, in the States, there's, I can always tell when people are discouraged when, when they're, when some kind of negative thing happens, you know, across the world or in the States or violence or politically, whatever, they say, oh, the Lord's coming soon. And the Lord is coming soon. But the default position for defeated people is come quickly, Lord, we're losing the battle. But he's not coming to rescue defeated Christians. He's coming for a glorious church. That's a little bit different. There's a great scripture in Proverbs 13, verse 12, and it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when desire comes, the tree of life, Proverbs 13, 12. And it's really, we found this to be in psychology, it's so true. When people 
lose hope, all kinds of powerful, negative, and even physically um, uh, damaging things begin to happen in their life. So we were made to live hopeful. So, in fact, to your soul, hope is oxygen. And when your soul doesn't have oxygen, you suffocate. So when your soul isn't hopeful, it's suffocating under the cruel instrument of other kinds of negative emotions. But, but when hope is there, it drives out. It's an immune system against the diseases of negative emotions. It pushes them back. No, no, no. We're not going to be depressed today. We're not going to be discouraged today. We're not going to be cynical today. We're not going to be unhappy today. Hope rules. And so we, t we think about it. And so our hope is not based on circumstances aligning, you know, all lining up. Our hope is based on our God. And he's the God of hope. He gives hope. Hope is a part of his nature, his makeup, his virtue, his capacity, and his gifts to us. And so we're hopeful people because we are created in the image of a hopeful God, a God of hope. So when, when discouragement, so when hope leaves your heart, something else fills it, something negative, something consequentially that's, that's going to hurt you. So I know in my story 24 years ago, um, you know, I mentioned this morning, we were building a big church in our town, and uh, I was 37 years old, and our church was uh, um, doing really well. I had a f over 4,000 people on the weekends, attend church service. We're building a large building, a 4,800-seat auditorium. And one August of 1995, our treasurer, a businessman and a banker, embezzled all of our money, embezzled $20 million from our church. And back then, that was a lot of money. Today, that's a lot of money. It's about twice as much as $20 million today. So everything went, went pretty bad from there. We had 10, 10 front page stories, six lawsuits. The church grew from 4,000 to about 140 the wrong way. The whole city's, you know, yapping about us, talking about us. I became depressed because I couldn't believe this happened to me. And I, I, I just stopped dreaming for about two and a half years, just stopped dreaming. Had to fight through, I had 15 attorneys concurrently all at the same time. Just, just one of the greatest scandals in our city uh, just an unbelievable mess. It took a while for everything. So we ended up winning all of our lawsuits. Nobody cared. They covered them on the front page. When we win them on the back page, 30 pages later, oh, church wins lawsuit. There, there, there was no victories. There was only misery. So when those difficult things began to happen, I said this internally, when things get better, I'll get better. The storm can't last forever whenever it stops, but it didn't. I, and, and I remember praying, I said to God, God, I, I can handle six weeks of this six years later when it ended six years later not six days six weeks six months six years it took six years for everything to happen so here's what I found out that when you're waiting for life to get better you're never going to get better when you're waiting for your circumstances to be the main agent of a hopeful life you you are you are um, you surrendered the control of your health to the uncertainties of life and you, you, you can't have a lasting hope but our hope isn't based our hope's based on the promises of God and the presence of God and the spirit of God gives us hope so we have hope because God is a God of hope and God has something good to say to us and God knows how to lift us and as David spent enough time with God and God says pursue your stuff without fail you recover all pursue you're going to catch up so, so the Lord said go for it and he said 
um, w- without fail, you're going to catch up. So God knows how to redeem time to catch you back up to where you should be. And God knows how to recover all. So for, for all of us, we have stuff with, that we need to recover. But only healthy people get their stuff back. Only emotionally healthy people are strong enough to get back from, from the devil what he's stolen from their families. It's the truth. And so we want to be Davids and and uh, Davises, or the feminine of David. We want to be people that have a trust in God and, and that go to work and believe that God can do amazing things. There's, uh, I'll say a couple things I wrote down before church. Hope is oxygen to our soul. I said that. Um, love awakens hope. The Bible says in Romans 5, 5, it said, hope does not disappoint, makes not ashamed. And it says, because... The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So love awakens hope. Here's how it worked. The more love your heart receives, the more hope your heart conceives. So the more love God gives to you, the more hope awakens in you. So the more love your heart receives, the more hope your heart conceives. So hope is the child of your heart in God's love and the marriage of his covenant with you that God Awakens the capacity for you to dream, for you to contemplate a positive future. Peter said this about, he was in his epistle, he said, Be ready to give an answer. And he said, oh, You know, Pastor Peter, when, when should we be ready? When people ask you why you're so hopeful. But, well, what, what does that mean? Hopeful people stand. Hope is attractive, hope is inviting. Hope is an advertisement. Hope is the best evangelistic tool. Happy Christians are great witnesses for Christ. So happiness, joy is the fruit of a hopeful heart. So so joy is not just something we have unattached to a mental construct or to an emotional. so, So joy lives in the house of hope. Hope creates the house for joy to have a continual presence in. Hope unlocks the door of joy into your heart. So hope is the result of winning the battle in your thought life about your future. Hope is the result of winning the battle in your thought life about your future. So my little son said to me, Daddy, my future is looking great. I just want to tell you, your future is looking great. Your future is looking great, Pastor Will and Desiree. Your future is looking great, front row, second row, third row, last row, sound booth, TV guy, red shirt people, young people. Your future is looking great. We, 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 we cannot deprive a generation of what, what they need to succeed. And, and in the States, at least, we, we, we were, for the first time in American history, as, as far as we've been testing and analyzing these kinds of demographic uh, surveys, the young people in our country are the first generation in history that said they don't think their future will be better than their parents. Now that is primarily the result of a negative construct in the culture, in the media, and the things that the constant negativity has fed them has beaten down the, the, the gift of hope in them. And, uh, you know, you know, our parents have ruined the world or you know, whatever it is. 
but it's all a lie. You're supposed to have a better life than your parents. You're supposed to have more vision, more hope, more dream, more expectation. So God wants you to get your hope back, your dream back. God wants you to encourage yourself in the Lord. David encouraged. God wants you to do whatever it takes to fight, to win the battle in your mind about your future. See, people always make bad decisions in their todays when they don't have a hope about their tomorrow. Did you know that? So the decisions you make today are the direct result of the dream you have about tomorrow. When you don't have a dream about tomorrow, you'll make bad decisions today because you're not thinking far enough into your life. This is a great verse. I don't think I put it in the notes. I'll just quote it to you from uh, Genesis 40. Joseph's in prison, um, unfairly, unjustly there. He, he, he shouldn't be in prison, but he's there because he was falsely accused of a sexual crime. He's a virgin. He's a good guy. He's a pure guy. He's in prison. But he, he doesn't pout even though he's in an unfair moment. And, you know, one little insight is when you can use your gift to help other people get into their destiny before you've gotten to your destiny, you shorten the time frame between now and your breakthrough. So Joseph uses his gift of interpreting dreams and he's walking one day to the prison and, he's, and he sees two guys, a butler and a baker, and they're sitting there and they're talking and, they're, and, and, and Joseph senses he says, why do you look so sad today? And my first thought is, hey, man, it's prison. This isn't bingo Wednesday. Everybody here is sad. But David, excuse me, Joseph perceived that their sadness was not just circumstantial. It was spiritual. And they said, here's what they said to Joseph. Each of us have had a dream, but we don't know what it means. Did you know that that sentence is true for every person in Dunedin, every person in New Zealand that doesn't know Christ? God has given every one of them a dream. They cannot interpret it without Jesus. They cannot find destiny without the king of destiny, Jesus. And, and, and so they said, we don't know. We're, we're sad because we don't know what our dreams mean. And, and Joseph said, there's a God in heaven who knows what your dream means. He interprets their dreams. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams. His gift of interpreting dreams. But here's, here's the point. The whole city here is sad without Jesus. No matter how high they get, no matter what they do, no matter how they, they're having different kinds of parties tonight. No matter what they do, there's an internal sadness when you, don't, when you can't find and fulfill your destiny. There's a, there's a sadness about not knowing Christ, about not knowing the God of love, about not having your sins forgiven, about knowing the plan he has for your life. And, and, so, and so God wants to make everyone in this room a dream interpreter for a lost world that we help them find. Hey, your dream begins with Jesus. Your dream begins with finding Christ. And he has a life for you. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He has a destiny for you. And, and, and so, but we, it's hard to be a good dream interpreter when we're still not dreaming ourselves. When we're locked into it, season of frustration and happiness. I just want to encourage you. God wants to talk to you. God wants to speak to you. God wants to awaken your heart to think about your future again. So two and a half years into my 
I became clinically depressed when, when, that, when those things happened. I told you about when our treasurer stole all our money. And I, for two and a half years, I was depressed. And I knew I was depressed because I was finishing my PhD in psychology. So I laid on my own couch and said, you're very sick. And I said, no, I am. Back off, Jack. And uh, so that really happened. But the Lord taught me how to get better. And, and one of the things he said, Michael, if you forgive the people that have hurt you, I'll make you forget the pain they've caused you. And so I forgave my way out of pain. And then he told me to be honest. And, and so he said, if you reveal things, I'll heal things. And I remember when I stood in my pulpit and told the church, I've been depressed for two and a half years. It was really quiet. And they were all upset, but I was healed. I, I may have traumatized that, the church that day, but I got better. But why? Because secrets kill your soul. And so anyways, those things happened. And, and so my heart started to dream again. And, 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 it, it, and it wasn't as if God was suddenly talking to me. God had never stopped talking to me about the, about the future. Discouraged people just don't pick up the phone. Oh, the phone's ringing. Who is it? God. Uh, what does he want? He wants to talk about future. No, I'm not taking that call. Discouraged people don't receive positive thoughts about their future. They can't. Their, 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 their minds are occupied with other kinds of thoughts. And so God wants to talk to you. So the Lord started talking about my future. And so I started dreaming again. And, and we started a church with nothing, with nobody. 16 years ago, we're almost at our 60th anniversary. And, and the Lord blessed it. We have 18 campuses. We have outrageous stuff happening today. Or tomorrow, whatever. Our today is there tomorrow. And so God did every, all these things because I let my heart dream again. Because I fought to get a dream back in my heart. Because I would not live the rest of my life hopeless. Hopeless. I got so depressed I wrote a country western music album. <laughs> Honest to God truth. On, that's the truth. Now the, the funny part is I don't like country western music. But, but apparently you can get so depressed you turn country. So at least that's my story. Anyone can see what's wrong. Man, you know, I get kind of tired of Christians. Ah, it's so bad. Yeah, yeah, duh. Anyone can see what's wrong. You don't have to be spiritual to see things that are wrong. Hopeful people see how to make it right. So what does that mean? Hope is valuable in the culture. In the kingdom of God, the person with the most hope carries the most influence. Thank you, Pastor. Hope is sunshine into our souls. Hope is medicine for our souls. Hope is healing for our souls. Hope heals us. Hope heals us. Hope heals this. There's a great verse that, let me read it to you in Romans chapter 15. What Paul was talking about, the nature of God, the kinds of values, the kinds of virtues, the kinds of things that are part naturally, um, intrinsically in God. And he said this about the God of all hope. Listen to look what the scriptures say in, in uh, Romans 15, 13. Now may the, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So, so first of all, oh, there it is. So God is the God of hope. 
And so I enter into the expression of his hope by doing what? By believing. And my believing brings me joy. It brings me peace. And then it says this, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. He, he said, not just a little bit of hope, a little bit of hope. So, I, you know, I was tired. I flew 20 hours yesterday, yesterday to get to you guys. And uh, so I was, shut, I was going to bed early and I shut my curtains and, and uh, there was still some sunshine. So I, I was ready to tape them shut last night. And my, I said, no sunlight in this room, not even a crack, because I'm going to sleep like a log. And so I did, and, and I feel great. But um, God says, I, I don't want you just to have a little sli- I want your whole, I want the shades open wide. I want you to abound in hope. In fact, I want you to have so much hope, you become a dispenser of hope to others. A dispenser of hope. That you become a person. That every environment you go to, you're, you're bringing a hopefulness there that changes the dynamics of that atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. When I have staff biddings, and I've you know, talked to my staff, and, you know, and so something comes up, you know, some issue in the church. There's always issues in the church. And just dealing with people. The church would be perfect except for people. Including the leaders, including us. So, so we're talking about stuff and, and people, you know, well, Pastor, this happened. Da, 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 and so I just wait. I'm waiting to see who's going to jump up in the room and say, well, here's how we can fix it. Because they're not going to tell me anything I don't already know about some problem or something we can, that's not working right. Yeah, I get it. But who's going who's gonna to have the, 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 the creativity, the imagination, the wisdom from God to say, hey, hey, Pastor Mike, here's how we can fix that. That's the person. That's the person I'm going to listen to. That's the person who gets my attention. That's the person I'm drawn toward. That's the person who helps me. I, I just want to say this. Um, I have the ministry of encouragement and um, because I found out everyone needs it. I I tell my church this, that we're called as a church to help hurting people. And we're going to let the other churches take care of the other 2%. Everybody is hurting. Everybody, listen, everyone you meet tonight, tomorrow, every day this week, every person you have a connection, contact, association with this week has a battle somewhere in their life they're fighting. And even if they're really good people about betraying, you know, being okay, man, everyone needs encouragement. Everyone needs their hope supportive. Everyone needs more hope, more encouragement, more grace, more strength, more love. When we become dispensers of that, we become important people. One day, David was um, waiting for good news to come from a battle. He was at Jerusalem, and his men were fighting. And uh, he hadn't heard, and, and all of a sudden, he sees back then, they, they had a runner come from the battle, running back to Jerusalem. And David sees the man. Here's what he said. David said, that's a good man. He'll have good news. I want to be the person, you know, when I come to your church, uh, I want to be person, hey, that's a good guy. He'll have good news for us. He'll have something good. You know, God has something good to say to everybody. I, I was praying a few years ago, and the Lord gave me this phenomenal vision. 
And uh, I was standing in the middle of a hallway and it was an aisle of a, of a huge warehouse. And the aisle went down, it went further than I could see the end. I couldn't see the end of it. Then the shelves went up higher than I could see the end. It just was the, the most massive warehouse you could imagine. So I'm standing there, man, thinking, well, I, I, I knew it was heaven. I think my first thought was, hey, there's warehouses in heaven. Who knew? It was a metaphor. God's talking to me. And so suddenly I'm over at the shelf and I'm pulling out a drawer. And inside of the drawer that was just, it was flooded with mail, with letters. And here's what God said to me. He said, Michael, these are all the undelivered love letters I have for mankind. Would you please spend the rest of your life helping me deliver them to people that I care for? God has something good to say to people. God has something good, and he wants us to be delivery mechanisms for that. The sharers of good news, amen? And to have that, we ha our hearts have to be in a place. Our hearts have to be in an encouraged place. And, and, and just, an another thing is this. People get, can get discouraged. I, I prayed for a lovely man this morning who'd, who'd lost the, his son in a premature death. And man, that, that will knock the air out of you. And I've prayed for him because, you know, that God would just help him, just like the Lord helped me. But you can be depressed and hopeless for no reason except that, you know, the devil's picking on you. So discouragement doesn't have to have a, always a, a linear cause. It, it, can, it can just happen because we're imperfect people. And, and, and we get tired or wearied or whatever. Or we're running an empty, whatever it is. And, and so just, just know this, no matter what you're going through, no matter how you got there, the Lord knows how to get you healthy. He knows how to get your heart working. He knows how to get your dreams working. He knows how to restore Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit's poured out on the day of Pentecost. And Peter stands up to preach. And, he's, and, 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 and there was a rumor in the crowd, that, oh, these guys are all drunk. Well, Peter, Peter says, these guys aren't drunk. It's only 9 in the morning. He said, but this is that spoken by the prophet Joel. It will come to pass, says God, in the latter days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men see visions. Your old men dream dreams. And, and here's what he said. The Holy Spirit is continually engaged in helping us dream about our futures through prophecies, through visions, through dreams. All of them have the same purpose, to show God's will, to show God's purpose, to encourage. The Bible says to exhort, to comfort, to encourage. That's why these prophetic gifts come. That's why the Holy Spirit comes. No matter what you've been through, no matter what's happened to you. In, in, in David's story, David was only three days away from being crowned king in Judah. Discouragement is often the greatest when breakthroughs are the closest. He was right there, right at the edge. But David also, he had made mistakes. Part of the causation of his trouble was he had, he had left the, the properties of Judea, went to a Philistine territory. There, there wasn't the same kind of grace there. He wasn't supposed to be in this place. And so he, he actually made mistakes that contributed to this, this horrible event. But the, the, he, you know when Jesus prays for people in, as the Gospels record them, Someone comes to Jesus. Jesus never once asked them how they got sick or how they got possessed with a demon. 
He never said, well, I can only help you if you change your eating habits. You got to go organic. You got to go vegan. It used to be vegetarian, now it's, now it's vegan, and vegan, I, I, they eat only, uh, apparently, paper. <laughs> Just kidding. So, I, I have a couple kids that are lost in that poor world. <laughs> Jesus never, he never blamed people for their pain. He never shamed people for their pain. He healed them. He helped them. A couple of them he told them, don't go back, don't do that again, sin no more. But he never condemned the hurting. No matter what, what has caused us to be in a hurting or discouraged place, God won't, won't condemn you. And it's important, I'm trying to kind of send an example toward prophetic people, because sometimes prophetic people uh, feel like it's their job to tell us why we're sick. You're sick, Pastor Maiden, because I'm like, shut your pie hole. If you can't help me, what you, you're not contributing to my hopefulness. Now we want to be answer givers. We want to be hope deliverers. We want to be encouragers and lifters because that's who God is. David said this about God. He's the glory and the lifter of my head. I, the imagery is so striking. If you're a parent, you get that. Because you've had your, when the kids are little, especially, they just, kind of, the, there's a natural response to discouragement. You just drop your head. And, and it, you know, I've, with all four of my kids, there's been times when I'd put my hand under their chin and said, chin up, everything's going to be okay. I don't know how, I don't know when, just don't worry. God's going to take care of that part. Don't be discouraged. Amen. He's the glory. He's the lifter of my head. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for hope. I, I felt the, to, to bring this message of hope because there was someone here tonight, God, you wanted to just really visit and encourage and pour into someone you wanted to focus your attention on and minister hope to them. And, and Lord, whoever that is, I just pray they would feel your arms surrounding them, your love pouring out into them. They would feel, God, that this is the night when things are changing in their life, changing for the good, changing for the better. Thank you, God, of hope for causing us to abound in hope because of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Come on, just worship the Lord with me. Just focus on Him. Thank you, God. hope back we're getting our hope back come on I, I my, my dream is is when I'm 93 and they asked me to say something at, at my church that I, I get my cane and I make my way to the pulpit and I say to them this is going to be the best year in my life and that I I, I never want to go backwards. You with me? I've had too much trauma in my life that if I stay focused on it, it devours my joy. It steals my hope. I stay focused on the promise of God. 
on the goodness of God. And I, I just want to say this in closing. One of my favorite scriptures is that we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God, called by His purpose. And so I say this about God's goodness. If it's not good yet, it just means God's not done yet. If it's not, so when Mary and I were first married, I, you know, she would cook something. She's got brownies or chocolate chip cookies, and I couldn't help myself. I'd be opening the oven prematurely. She said, shut the oven. It's not done. You have to give it time to finish. And you have to give God time to finish your story. Give him the chance to write a good ending. If it's not good yet, it just means God's not done working all things together for good. When I had a huge painful thing happen, I couldn't, I got depressed because I couldn't contemplate. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't construct by, it, by any kind of cognitive ability how God could make something intrinsically bad become good. But that's just because I'm not as smart as God. You have to trust God that he's going to work it out even when you don't know how. So now I look back and say, oh, God worked it for good. I should have trusted. I, sh I, I, I should have not walked my living room floor all through the night for a year and a half worrying about things. And I should have just gone to bed and, and known that God's going to make it good. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded at Equippers Church, Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com.